earth and in heaven. The basis of my message is from the epistle lesson just read to you from Molly, from 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Good morning. In greetings and peace in the name of Jesus, as our children so eloquently sung to us, what a joy it was to hear. Here we are all together. The beginning of service, amazing grace. Uh, what themes that unite us. Well, we're all very familiar with the cliches. There is no I in team. United we stand, but divided we what? Fall. What we can accomplish together, we accomplish much more together. Those are cliches. But the early Christian church from Acts chapter 2 showed to us what happened when believers were united. For in Acts chapter 2, we heard that they gathered around the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together. They assembled together regularly. They gave as each other had need. They worshiped together, and the Lord blessed them. The early Christian church was about we, us, ours, they, everyone, all our believers. Sort of a fulfillment of what St. Paul says, that we might be united in mind and in spirit. It was something that was done together. And on a rather sensitive illustration, I'm sharing this with you because it was rather profound in my life. So contrary to us believers being together, it's sort of the opposite is an I and me attitude. If, there, if there's another profession that we as pastors interact with, it's funeral home directors or morticians. Simply by the nature of our calling, there, there's a lot of funerals and we interact with a lot of people who are in the funeral home business. And sometimes committals take place an hour or two away from the church. So you travel with a funeral home director or a mortician for two hours there and travel back and sometimes we eat together. So if there's another profession, as odd as it sounds, in which a pastor or clergy gets to know, it's a funeral home director and we get to see their care and love for people who grieve in some very difficult um, times in their lives. But they were disabled. And if you've ever been around a disabled person, many times disabled people, they don't marry. They don't have a whole lot of income. They have difficulty taking care of themselves. And if you've been around a disabled person, many times they just don't live as long as people who've been blessed with really good health. And so the phone call came to my office that this disabled person died rather early in life. And as I was expecting, and like I said, it's a rather sensitive illustration. I was expecting to be much more involved in the funeral, but things were sort of thrown together. And at the last minute, I was asked to come to the funeral home, say some words. And I traveled with the funeral home director to the committal site at the cemetery. And there to my, well, rather somewhat to my dismay, the disabled person was basically put in a cardboard box. And there was a number of disabled people, their friends, they're weeping. You see, they're upset. And after a short committal, I found out that there was no fellowship meal afterwards. And so the disabled people are sort of left there by themselves. And I was sort of just a little bit dismayed uh, at how everything was arranged and how people weren't compensated and things were thrown together. Now, I knew this funeral home director. And I remember getting back in the car to drive back to the funeral home to get back to church. And the funeral home director said, yeah, matter of fact, that the family has requested that the state, the state pay for the person's internment. They need to know that's not enough to cover our costs. But what we talked about 
was that in the parking lot, both at the cemetery and at the funeral home, were SUV Cadillacs and foreign-made cars made in Germany, and their initials of the car maker began with B and M and A, and a rather wealthy family. And with, like I said, this is a sensitive illustration, but it was rather a turnoff to see how this disabled person was basically giving a, a goodbye. You're going to heaven, how they were sort of treated. And the funeral home director and I, we knew each other for a number of years. He looked at me and said, well, remember, Pastor, we live in a what? In a me world. We live in a world where we think mostly of ourselves and people think mostly of themselves. We take care of ourselves because it's the easiest and best thing to do. And we live in a me world where I think about me. If you're the typical American, we watch 100,000 commercials. They're all basically designed for us to be comforted and to us feel good. We live in a me world. Watch any news show. Watch any documentary. Watch any show like The Bachelor and Bachelorette or any show that's based on real life. And I guarantee every fourth word is the word I. You and I live in a me world. But the church is opposite of that. We are called, we are all believers, we're called to be united in one. Now when I think about the opposite of a me world, I think about cohesion and unity and collaboration. Now about 40 years ago, seriously, 40 years ago at this time of the year, the United States amateur Olympic hockey team was about to pull off the biggest upset literally in sports history. Coached by Herb Brooks, a group of hotshot college hockey players were asked to take on arguably the best hockey team ever. It's the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was made of professional military career men who basically their life was to play hockey. And that Soviet team just crushed the NHL All-Stars and they were unbeaten with a string of Olympic medals and defeats and they literally crushed their opponents. And I think the coach from Minnesota, Herb Brooks, realized that if this group of hotshot hockey players or amateur have any shot against the Soviet team of professional military men, they have to play together. So he, he said this. When you put on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates, and the name on the front of it is a whole lot important than the name on the back. Get that through your head. The name on the front of the jersey is what? A whole lot more important than a name where on the back, get that through your head. The only chance the United States had at beating that professional team was that they play together and they understood the name on the front of the jersey. What? Us and we is more important than I and me on the back. Came a time when he disciplined the team. Disciplined the team because they weren't taking themselves seriously. And at the beginning when the team met, he asked who you are and who you play for. And while being disciplined, I think Michael Urizioni, he's one of the heroes of that game in which the United States beat the Soviets. Anyone know the score? Four to three. Score of the game. Last period of the game. Mike Urizioni said this. He yelled out, who do I play for? I play for who? United States of America. He understood that the name on the front of the jersey was what? About 40 years ago, the United States beat Finland in the gold medal game arguably the greatest upset ever in sports history. The name on the front of the jersey is a whole lot more important than what? The name on the back. Divisions couldn't take place. So I want to talk to you about divisions in the Corinth church because that's where St. Paul wrote his letter. 
because there are divisions there. There's some things that cause that division. And one thing that caused the division in the Corinth church is they made their human leaders God. Do you follow Cephas? Do you follow Paulus? follow Stephen? Do you follow Paul? They made their human leaders God, and sometimes we do that. Do you have a favorite pastor? Do you have a favorite teacher? Do you have a favorite person in church? Sometimes we make human leaders and human church leaders God, and that causes division. Because someone says, I like this pastor better. Oh, no, I like this teacher better. Oh, no, I like this youth director better. Oh, no, I like this person better. That causes division. What else causes division? They're too much influenced by their society. Corinth was sort of like a Vegas-type city, only worse. And the church was influenced by that society that caused division. What else caused division? Refusal to learn and submit to God's word and God's leader. That caused division in the church. They weren't united. They were more concerned with the name on the back of the jersey than a name where. And the bottom line here is, these question the unique lordship and cross of Jesus. I'll get to that later. So let's talk about our church. Notice it? See it there? What causes division among us? Well, what causes division at St. John's? Well, I think sometimes we make our ministry needs God. Right now, I'm really concerned about this program in the church, and that's the most important thing. Oh, no, I'm concerned about this age group in the church, and that's the most important thing. And I'm concerned about my own ministry in the church, and that's the most important thing. And sometimes that gets made God. And we concern ourselves, well, as long as my kid's involved here, or as long as I'm involved here, that's what I really care about the church about. And sometimes that causes division. Well, I'm just concerned about one aspect of the church's ministry. What else causes division at St. John? Well, we're too much influenced by our society. Oh, it's true, we are. My wife and I were talking the other day, and people have asked me, how do I like defiance? And I said, well, I like defiance a lot. My wife and I were talking, said, five minutes from my house were 25 different restaurants to us to eat at. I'm influenced by our society. I'm a very consumeristic person. My dentist's office is four minutes from my house, so I need to fix up my house. I said to my wife, we're only three minutes from Menards and Lowe's. I'm very much influenced by our society. I want to make sure that my burritos and tacos don't have any onions in it. I like my pizza with pepperoni and Diet Mountain Dew, even though I shouldn't drink it. I'm very much influenced by our society. I get bummed out when my team loses. I'm used to that for the Browns, but not for Ohio State. I'm influenced by our society I myself, and we too, are very highly influenced by our society. We're very consumeristic. We're very much me-focused in everything that we have. So we too are influenced by our society. Well, you know, when in Rome do as what? Romans do. We too are, and also, what else causes division? Refuse to learn and submit to God's word and God's leader. Just not that much into God's word right now. And all of this questions unique lordship and cross of Jesus. So similar to Corinth, same divisions cause divisions here. Now St. Paul sort of gives the antidote. He, he gives a cure to that. This is what St. Paul speaks to us. So go ahead. Just let's look at it with me. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among us, and that you may be what? Perfectly united in mind and thought. Brothers and sisters, unite yourself the same mind and thought. Now, what's St. Paul talking about? Well, 
he talks about the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. Um, the president of our synod, Matthew Harrison, said something profound, and it's remained with me. The cross doesn't mean what it used to mean to people 20, 30 years ago. When you look at the cross, what do you see? Does the cross have the meaning it once did? When you see a cross, you see a religious symbol? Or is a cross the place where Jesus died for you? Is a cross the place where Jesus gave his life so you and I don't have to go to hell? Is a cross a place where I see that we're all forgiven and united and that's my hope? Have you ever taken the time to count the number of crosses up, up here? In the chancellor area? Don't do it now. Don't do it during a sermon, okay? Right? Wait until the sermon's done another time. Just count the number of crosses that are up here. Now, the world sees the cross as foolish. Why would someone be crucified in a garbage dump, pull in a hole, and come back to life? But for us who are being saved, the cross is a what? The power of God. See the cross. Jesus died for everyone, for you and for me. That's what unites us. What unites us just isn't our ministry needs or which pastor or person we like the best, but the cross of Jesus. St. Paul says this, Disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a church's call. Well, GM makes car and Taco Bell makes tacos, we at church are called to make what? Disciples, mature believers. That's our calling. We are called to make closer followers of Jesus. That's a calling of our school. That's a calling of our preschool. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples every age, every situation. That's what unites us. Go and make disciples of all nations. And St. Paul says this, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, we are God's building. That's what unites us. Then he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God is Father and Lord of all. And by the way, if we all have the same father, that makes you and I what? Brothers and sisters, like it or not. Somebody once said, you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're baptized in the same hope, and many times we partake the same body and blood of Lord Jesus. What unifies us? The cross, our calling to make disciples of all ages, and that we all have the same father. Now, you've been... Um, hearing a lot about this, uh, Built on the Rock, the Healthy Church. And I'm not trying to make this into an infomercial or a bully pulpit, but I'd like to talk to you about that for a minute because I think it's right where we need to be is being united. So it's about making our church and our school healthy. It's not that they're not healthy, we want to make them healthier. Now I know there's parents and grandparents there. Do you remember well fitness exams? Probably parents and your kids, you take your kid every year to the doctor, you know what I mean? We well, did the same thing with my three kids. If a doctor says your kid's healthy, everything's fine, because healthy kids naturally what? Grow. If your kid's healthy, it's all fine. Healthy kids grow. It's just nature. It's nature. It's natural. Make our church and our school healthy. That's what it's about. Well, what else about? Growing our church and school. Making disciples. That's what we're in business for. The church is the only business that's in business for somebody else. What else does it do? Well, it's an us and what? 
The name on the front of the jersey is much more important than what? Name on the back. Get that through your head. I'm just quoting Herb, okay? Um, how? How do we do it? Make the church healthy through making disciples, maturing the body. Mature people do wonderful things. Mature people serve. Mature people give. Mature people don't cause problems. Mature people tend to unite. Mature people make wise decisions. Mature people know how to work through difficult situations. It's the immature that cause problems. Don't believe me? Watch a three-year-old at the grocery store checking out who wants a candy bar, okay? Mature. Mature the body. How? Well, we deal with false gods and divisions. You know, my own ministry need or the person I like the best or my own agenda. How? How else? Well, simplified, streamlined ministries that's healthy and serves. And how else? Effective and fruit-bearing at works. About unifying an us and we thing, the name on the front of the jersey. Our faith and calling is greater than our disagreements. With all love, ever met a person who stopped coming to church? I stopped coming to church. Somebody was picking on my kid in the hallway, and I stopped coming to church. I'm really sorry to hear it. I stopped coming to church. They ran out of baked beans at the potluck, and I just was really turned off by that. I stopped coming to church. I just really didn't care for this church worker. I stopped coming to church. got an argument at a congregational assembly. Wonder of all wonders. My faith, your faith, our faith, and our calling is greater than our what? Let nothing keep you out of God's house. Let nothing keep you away from the Lord's table and look at the baptism font. A gem I heard from a previous member is he told me that one time they went to a congregational assembly. And a typical discussion was about that dirty four-letter word money. And there's a disagreement and argument came up. And people left the meeting and it closed. And one mature believer called him. And he said he still recalls it to this day. He called him up and said, listen, we might disagree how the church should spend money, but I want to let you know you're my brother in Christ and I love you. I want to let you know you're my brother in Christ and I love you. It's okay to disagree about money. How much that touched him, how much that touched me. A former pastor who became district president always told us, people came in his office all the time complaining about things. Complained about how this was going Complain about that the school, that the, maybe the church and school uh, facilities weren't clean enough. Com- complained about, you know, maybe they didn't like the hymns. And you know what the pastor always shared with them? Thank you. Come to church and Bible study. Next time in, complain about a long sermon. Thank you. Come to church and Bible study. Complain that the hallway was dirty. Thank you. Come to what? Church and Bible study. Our faith and calling is greater than what? The name on the front of the jersey is worth a whole lot more than what? Name on the back. So I'd like to close you. Well, we also say I believe in the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our faults. I'd like to close you with this, Dietrich Bunhafer. Who is that? Dietrich Bunhafer, Reverend Dietrich Bunhafer, was hung two weeks before the end of World War II. The Flossenburg prison camp, a personal uh, prisoner of Adolf Hitler, hung because of his faith. A very talented, gifted theologian who left us his gifts and books. One of his hallmark books is called Life Together. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the wisdom of God working through him. So he uses Psalm 131, 133.1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And this is what he says. Christian love and affection is not an idea which we must realize. It's a reality created by God in Christ in which you may participate. Remember I said you get to choose your friends, not your family? If we're all baptized, have the same God 
we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And ready for this? And more clearly, the more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise is that in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think and pray and hope for it. The more I realize that Jesus died for you, the closer we are. The more we realize we have the same mission, the closer we are. The more we realize that Christ is our Lord and God of all, the closer we are. So friends in Christ, we're one in Christ. The name on the front of the jersey is what? Much more important than the back, one in Christ. How about this for a closing thought? Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And all God's people say...